1: Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. It's been a weird week. Uh, obviously week one is in the books. The Giants played on Monday Night Football, but NFL Game Pass had its struggles this week. I'm sure you've all seen it. Or those of you who are on Giants Twitter or NFL Twitter, Game Pass didn't release the coaches film until Thursday morning, so that's when we're recording this right now. Thursday afternoon, a little bit later than the morning. This is not a normal week for us. Obviously, those of you who are fans of the podcast from last year know that part of our show during the season is we do an immediate reactions podcast, which is already out this week. Which we basically dove into a breakdown of our opinions of the game based on one initial watch and then a rewatch of the broadcast angle. So you should definitely check that out. It has a lot of takeaways we're not going to go over again today, but. The crux of our podcast is an all-22 review of the Coach's Film middle of the week, but usually the Coach's Film is out on Tuesday night. So because it came out this week on Thursday morning, due to my schedule, I didn't have an opportunity to go over the All-22 film like I want to. Fortunately, Nick had a chance to dive into it, but not even to the extent that he normally does. But he told me that the extent of his deep dive into the All-22 was enough that we felt comfortable putting out this All-22 podcast. This will not be the way our normal All-22 podcast goes. This is going to be different. It's going to be more of a QA. and I'm going to serve as almost an interviewer in the show. As Nick breaks down what he saw on tape, I did not get to see the All-22 the way I wanted to. I've been working this morning. It doesn't work that way. So, eventually, I'm going to dive into this, but we felt it was better to put out the podcast earlier rather than later. And we do also have some other shows coming this week that will drop tomorrow. Both will drop tomorrow at the same time. They're interviews with insiders for the Bears. One is a film guy, and the other is a former offensive lineman for the Bears. So, that'll be interesting. He previews the Bears' offense while the other guy dives into all things Bears. So, you should be completely prepped for the matchup against the Chicago Bears a very winnable game for the Giants in my opinion and the one they need to win but before we do that let's go over what happened in week one against the Steelers so let's start this off Nick but first I want to say how are you doing today and, are you, and, and I know you
2: specifically
1: weren't too happy with what NFL Game Pass put out this week.
2: Nah man it was devastating I mean it just dropped on Thursday it typically drops I mean a Monday night game will drop you know Tuesday afternoon Tuesday night but the all 22 first Sunday games usually drops Monday night And we didn't get the Thursday night football game until last night. I don't know what the hell was going on, but it was incredibly frustrating to wake up this morning, scramble, watch the film, try to digest it, try to break it down so we can formulate this podcast and get it out to everybody.
1: Yeah, I totally hear you. I At at a point this week, me and Nick were like, we're not going to get to do the podcast. We won't be able to do our crocs, sh- what we are all about, the All-22 analysis, because it's just not coming out. And then we saw some NFL insiders, some guys who work in the league, start to get the tape, but it was still, to us, to where I consider the public, it still wasn't available. And then finally this morning, it drops. It's like unbelievable. Thursday is way too late. It it doesn't work for our podcast. If this is something the NFL is going to continue to do, we are going to be in trouble with this pod, or it's going to have to start coming out on Fridays, which we feel is very late in the week. So hopefully the NFL fixes this fast.
2: Yeah, it was a technical difficulty on the NFL's part. According to them. According to them. So I'm not (laughs) expecting this to be the norm.
1: Hopefully not. All right, Nick, let's dive into it. Let's go right into what happened in the Giants' opening week one loss to the Steelers. One we went over again, guys, dive back on our quick takeaways pod. We have a lot of what we feel about the game and the team there, but this is the All-22. This is what we see from the coach's angle with 22 players on the field, and let's start with this. It's a new offense. It's a new defense. Two new coordinators in here. Let's start with the basics,
2: Nick. What was the base personnel looks that the Giants used on both sides of the ball? So for the offense, I feel like, again, they were going up against a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that is incredibly effective. Very, very scary type of defense. So the Giants came out initially in 12 13 personnel packages so that's two three tight ends in those specific packages and what they did they would show heavy personnel so the Steelers come out and their base personnel with you know maybe two linebackers because they run a lot of like big dime big nickel packages which means they have bigger safeties out there but what they end up doing the Giants is they would spread out Evan Ingram Caden Smith and even Levine Toilolo sometimes And have them basically in like a five-wide look and run quick passing concepts out of that. I guess Jason Garrett and the Giants are confident enough in Evan Ingram and Caden Smith to do that. I'm really not 100% sure about Levine Toilolo, if I'm going to be real with everybody. But they were confident enough to do that and then try to take advantage of mismatches with guys like Evan Ingram against some of their either smaller defensive backs or slower linebackers. So they were able to kind of try to move the ball in that manner from the quick passing game concept they were able to do it I thought Daniel Jones looked really good in this specific type of offense it's just they couldn't generate any kind of push at the point of attack when it came to running the football because at the same time when you have those 13 personnel out there theoretically you'd expect these tight ends to be able to block but they couldn't because the edge players were just more physical and frankly better than the Giants tight ends In terms of rushing the pass or or shooting the gaps or just winning at the point of attack. Evan Ingram was a complete liability in this facet. Kane Smith wasn't that much better, but he was definitely better because the glaring mistakes by Evan Ingram were just very, very on display. And then Toilolo, somebody who we all think of as a blocking tight end, really didn't do that great in that area as well. And when I look at the interior offensive line, Nick Gates struggled. I thought the Offensive line wasn't as cohesive as we would have liked, and I guess that's to be expected. I mean, you have a new offensive line coach. You have a new system. I mean, you bring in Cam Fleming, and he was somebody in the running game that was okay, but he was a total liability as a pass protector. So there was a a lot of troubles with the offensive line and their ability to establish any sort of rushing attack against that Steelers defensive front. The Steelers were aware of it. Their game plan was to shut down Saquon Barkley. We're going to stop Saquon Barkley. If you show run, if we read our run keys, those linebackers shot like that. They were right on it. Devin Bush, Vince Williams, all those second level defenders of the Steelers were very, very aggressive with shooting the gaps. And by the time Barkley would even have the ball, there would be someone in his face because either there were a missed assignment or a linebacker Linebacker was just beating an offensive lineman to
1: the set point. It's really interesting, Nick, because the Giants had this approach and they came out with, like you said, a lot of 12 and 13 personnel. And for those who don't know, easiest way to know what we mean when we're talking about personnel is the first, so in 12, 13, 11, the first number means how many running backs are on the field, and the second number means how many tight ends are on the field. And the rest of the res- players on the field then are wide receivers outside of the quarterback and the offensive lineman. So you can do the math there. But again, The base was a lot of 12 and 13, a lot of big, heavy packages where the Giants felt like, okay, we can put extra bodies on the field at tight end and get our run game going. But it actually kind of worked the opposite way because, like you said, the tight ends blocked so poorly. Levine Tolo expected to block well. Well, he didn't block that well, like you said. Evan Ingram, a liability. And what really happened in my mind is they almost tipped their hands to the Steelers by having this. Somebody brought up to me today that the Giants use less pre-snap motion than any team in the NFL. And when I went over that with you, you made a good point. They can't really use pre-snap motion when they have these heavy personnel packages on the field. So this is something to consider for Garrett. You know, I know what he wants to do. I understand the concept behind these heavy personnel packages. But you might just not have the personnel to do it. Caden Smith,
2: Evan Ingram, Levine Tolo, they might not be the guys to have on the field. And plus, when you bring in heavier personnel, the defense is going to load the box more. Exactly. So there's going to be more defenders to block and and I'm willing to bet on the Steelers' defense rather than the Giants' offensive blocking situation. And you also gotta consider the injury to Golden Tate. Now, if Golden Tate was healthy in this game, I believe that Jason Garrett would have used a lot more 11 personnel out there, which might have spread the field out a little bit and gave Saquon maybe some more cutback lanes and some more room to run the football, which also could have maybe helped the offensive line with their blocking assignments as well. So I do believe the Golden Tate injury also forced Jason Garrett to get a little bit more creative than he might have wanted to be. And that's
1: an excellent point, Nick, because... Most teams in the NFL and the majority of their base offense is running out of 11 personnel. I am a big believer, and I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm pretty sure you're in the same page with me, that the best chance you have in the NFL to run the football is out of 11 personnel. When you load that box, it makes it very easy for defense, especially if you're a team like the Giants and you're a coordinator like Garrett who has a history of running a lot out of these heavy personnel patches. And in this game, people are asking us, you know, what happened with the run game? Why did it really look like and every single play, there was Tech mobile style penetration in the backfield. And the answer is what you just went over in combination with the Giants were trying to run a stretch-wide zone scheme outside in 12-13 and 13 personnel with Evan Ingram and, and Levine Toilow and Caden Smith. You can't be expected to block. Those guys can't be expected to block on the edge in my mind, especially Caden and Ingram. I know they're expecting big things from Levine. He's a big body. I haven't really studied him in Atlanta to know if he's even a great blocker or if he just has that reputation based on size, but it looked to me like this is not
2: something they can continue moving forward. That's one point of it. I think another point of it is Bud Dupree. You left him as an unblocked defender several times, and that's something that you do in the NFL. If you're running the ball to the left side of the line of scrimmage, you are going to leave the end man on the line of scrimmage on the right side unblocked so you can have a blocking advantage. It's a numbers game. That's what football is about. But Bud Dupree is an excellent pursuit defender. And how many times did he come unblocked right into the backfield and tackle Saquon Barkley from the backside. It happened at least twice in that game, two or three times. And those are drive stalling type of plays. And when you have defenders like TJ Watt and Bud Dupree out there, and you can't seal an edge, you're going to struggle to run on the edge. And it just seems like the interior offensive lineman is still a problem. Kevin Zeitler did not have his best game. I thought Will Hernandez was better than what the consensus at least on twitter was was giving i thought will hernandez had a couple he was put in a couple tough spots i felt like he was solid i saw one play where i was like "Ooh, that was rough but on the whole i thought will hernandez was one of the better offensive linemen out there along with andrew thomas surprisingly enough but that interior offensive line they couldn't generate push like at the most they could stand up cam hayward but there was no pushing off the line of scrimmage there was no drive lower leg drive none of that was really happening it was just they were being dominated in the trenches by a much more physical football team And I don't
1: want to kill the Giants for that, Nick, because this is not, they're not going to face the Steelers front every week. This is, I mean, they have some bad matchups coming up, Bears and Niners right on tap. Those are great fronts. And then you walk right into Aaron Donald one week later, but it's not going to happen like this all season. Obviously, even though, again, I don't want to go too crazy there because they do have a really tough schedule from a front standpoint. Remember Washington times two, Philly times two, and Dallas even in that mix times two, it's not great. But having said all that, I'm curious because the backside pursuit was a major issue for this team in this game. Like you said, it really stymied the running game at times. Who would you say was most to blame for that? Is that more schematic thing on on Garrett and Colombo's fault? Or is that individual players that you saw making mistakes?
2: It's Pittsburgh being really aggressive. So you can make the backside pursuit pay. Because if you do it once and then they end up tackling Saquon behind the line of scrimmage and they keep biting down, you could implement something like a zone read or another concept, some kind of misdirection to have Bud Debris crash. And then you do some sort of run towards his direction or a quick pass towards his direction where his assignment would have been. And then that's an easy way to kind of pick up a chunk. Now, I don't know if the Giants had that in their game plan. So maybe that's why they didn't do it as much in this game. But that is another that is a way that you can kind of make uber aggressive defenders pay. Yeah, it makes a lot
1: of sense. I have another question for you, like keeping it on the offensive side of the ball, because this stood out to me. The Giants in week one gave up 22 pressures in less than 2.5 seconds. That was most in the NFL. The next highest team was 15. That's what Daniel Jones dealt with, guys. For all you haters of Jones, don't understand how, like I'm not the biggest Jones fan, but if you look at that week one game and you rewatch that game and you think he played poorly, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. I think he played really well, in my opinion, given the circumstances. But diving into that, you know, we saw, and is is that more of an individual thing? Why did the Giants give up so many quick pressures in this game? Because
2: their offensive line isn't that good. <laughs> and the Steelers' pass rush yeah. is really good. It really came, it comes down to execution a lot with a lot of these questions that people have about the offensive line. Execution, I mean, you're you're asking your tackle to block for, what, two seconds, but... It, Cam Fleming gives up the edge and is just beat right around the edge, and then he oversets the next time and gets beat inside. Mm. There's not a lot that Daniel Jones can do. There's not a lot that Mark Colombo can do. You just need the players that can execute their assignments long enough to allow Daniel Jones to get the ball out of his hands when he hits the back of his foot. And there were so many times where he would hit the back of his foot and he was already getting hit or already getting pressured. Not a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL have to deal with that on a consistent basis like Daniel Jones did in week one yeah you're 100% right and another thing about the 13 personnel some of the things I did like about it there were some cool route combinations built off of that because I do believe Caden Smith is a pretty good athlete and there were a couple route combinations that caught my eye and they were like replacement type of routes where Evan Ingram would run a flag route so basically you're running towards the back pylon and then Caden Smith chip releases as the number two tight end on an overloaded offensive line so you have all three tight ends on one side Evan Ingram releases to the flag to kind of clear out and then everybody thinks oh Caden Smith is in their pass block and then he releases and that happened once towards the red zone I think I could see Garrett utilizing that a little bit more especially if Golden Tate is not healthy where you can kind of clear out one section of the field with Evan Ingram and then you also have a receiver to that field that everybody's focusing on and then Caden Smith can kind of sneak underneath after he chips and releases for a quick short gain and I want to say that was like an eight maybe a nine yard gain by Caden Smith but I, I kind of like that that little route combination, something that we haven't seen as much of because Pat Shermer wasn't as big on 12 13 personnel packages. Yeah, and I, again,
1: when we go back to this, you can listen to our initial reaction podcast. There's a lot I liked about what Garrett did in his first game as Giants offensive coordinator. I thought the overall game plan was really good to counter what the Steelers did. I just think that he needs to put in more pre snap motion. All good teams do that, only the bad teams don't. And he needs to get away from what's not working sooner that like you said the outside zone 12 and 13 was just not working they need to figure out the run game they need to make it easier but I want to touch on one more thing with the offense before we move on Um, and that is Cameron Fleming and the idea of him as the starting right tackle at what point do you think the Giants I mean Joe Judge today said that he's at no point anywhere close to even considering any changes after week one and I respect that But at what point, Nick, do the Giants have to seriously consider giving Matt Pert a shot at right tackle?
2: How far along is Pert? I mean, we're not in the building, so it's so difficult to say, but Cam Fleming is a what he's been in the league for several years now and he has a lot of starting experience. He knows this offensive line. But if he does keep getting beat, you're gonna have to give the kid a shot. But I'm not overly confident that it's right now because I don't know how far along Matt Pert is. And I think if Matt Pert was far along, he would already be in there or at least there'd be discussions about it. So I I think there's a reason why we're not seeing him and it's because he is raw and he's not as strong right now, but I think he can develop and that's what they're hoping with him. And that's why you spent a third round pick on him. But as of right now, now cam fleming comes out this week and it's just absolutely ridiculous and it's really really bad there's gonna have to be serious conversations about it but I, i'm not 100 sure if the kid's ready yet
1: yeah i mean at some point the giants in my mind have to just put him out there at least and see it i understand the dynamic behind it it's hard to bench fleming and then come back to him but these guys are professionals and that's something i think that they can work through but agreed he might just not have the play strength yet for it to be a thing I have a couple other questions actually circling back to the offense. I think we harped a lot on how it might have been a negative for how much 13 and 12 personnel Garrett ran and how he, you know, ran outside zone with it. A lot of, you know, wide outside zone with it that just wasn't working, but I think you found a couple plays on tape that stood out to you where he actually made a great adjustment based on how the Steelers were playing 13 personnel. This is what you want to see from every coach in the NFL. Any coordinator either side of the ball, adjustments are the key to winning. That's why Bill Belichick is as good as he is. Ty why McDaniels is as good as he is and goes on and on. So what were two great adjustments you saw from Garrett?
2: So on that 19-play drive, that we're not going to talk about the ending of the 19-play drive, (laughs) but on that 19-play drive, the first, third, and one, Garrett lined up the Giants in 13 personnel, and all three tight ends were to the one side. So they're overloading one side, and that's showing run, because the Steelers all game were being so aggressive, like we talked about, shooting gaps, being really physical at the point of attack, and kind of selling out for the run. So Garrett showed that look, and then hit the Steelers with a play-action pass, and all the linebackers bit. Everybody bit into their gaps. They started shooting it, and it left Levine Toilolo just who leaked right out from his tight end spot, wide open on a drag route. And there was the receiver ran like a deep vertical to kind of clear out the cornerback. So Levine was wide open on that drag route for an easy completion to pick up the third down. And then on the next third and one. They do something similar. They show that look, only this time the Steelers don't bite. Now, this play wasn't as much about adjustment as it was about Daniel Jones being incredibly patient and waiting for Saquon Barkley to get open. It was a play action. Saquon leaked into the flat, and the linebacker was just... A little bit too late to kind of pick up Saquon in the flat, and he's a linebacker, and Saquon Barkley's a mismatch nightmare. And Jones found Barkley on that ridiculous kind of lucky, I'm just going to fade away and throw it across my body, which is something you should never do kind of play. But Barkley, to his credit, was open on the play. So good on Jones to be patient. I don't really want to see him doing that too often. It was cool to see the Giants kind of pick up two third and shorts, passing the ball yes. out of these heavy personnel groups and kind of making the Steelers pay for being really, really aggressive. Exactly. I
1: love to see teams who don't run the ball on third and short but show heavy personnel like they are going to run the ball— and then go ahead and make a play like that especially against a defense that was playing the run so heavily all game I want to talk to you about something that's taken a lot of flack and that's the first red zone series where the Giants recovered the muff punt by Deontay Johnson and then had to settle for a field goal to me when you're down there in the red zone I really do like the idea of first and goal from the three or, or less which is where they were at of spreading it out shotgun hand off to Barkley three times in a row I really just feel like he's getting in there and he had a really nice run in the red zone for seven yards before Daniel Jones interception but that's not what they did um but you feel like if the execution was just a little better based on your tape review the play calls were actually good down there right
2: i do agree man because first and goal the giants came out in 11 personnel so they had the three wide receivers to the right and then evan ingram was the tight end on the back side of that formation and this the first play was a run play but ingram was just absolutely murdered by bud dupree on that play it was like the start of just a Terrible sequence for Evan Ingram and I don't want to just sit here and crap on the dude, but it was not it was his worst game as a professional in my opinion. It was not good at all. But the line could not generate anything at the point of attack. So Saquon does not get a lot of yardage on that play. But you come out on the second and goal, and you have a easy bubble slant combination. This is something that you see in college all of the time. So basically the, the number two receiver who is Sterling Shepherd runs a bubble. Now, the apex defender, who is the second defender outside, the second most outermost defender, expands with that bubble. And then the number one receiver, who's outside of Sterling Shepard, is Darius Slayton. He runs a quick slant route. What happens is the apex defender expands, creating a window for Darius Slayton to go inside. Now, all Slayton has to do is beat whoever is covering him. And this is a bang, bang type of play on this specific play. The Giants had a seven-man protection package. Now, I see a lot of people bashing, how can you leave Evan Ingram on TJY? And you know what? In theory, I agree with that. But when you leave seven men as a coach in protection and the Steelers send five and you cannot protect it, and not only with one dude, but three guys get home, that is an execution problem. You have seven protection players out there. You have <laughs> You have that route combination at the top of the screen. And that would have been bang bang, but literally right when Daniel Jones hits his top foot, he has Bud Dupree, TJ Watt coming around the edge because Andrew Thomas and Evan Ingram did absolutely horrible in their blocking assignments. And then Kevin Zeitler totally whiffed on—I want to say it was—I want to say it was either Tyson or or it was Cameron Hayward. And Daniel Jones just gets kind of hit, and the ball falls down, and Nick Gates falls on it, and it's just ruled incomplete. But that's a seven-man protection package right there. And they send five, and they get home with three. I mean, that's that's execution right there. It's hard to put it on the coach, and I know I don't want Evan Ingram lined up on TJ Watt, but that's supposed to be a bang-bang, easy kind of touchdown play that you see all the time on Saturday, and you see it more and more in the NFL now. And then the next play I really liked. It was the third and goal. You have pre-snap motion from Sterling Shepard, and what the pre-snap motion did. Now go back and watch this if you guys have game pass. This is the after the Deontay Johnson punt. What the pre-snap motion did, it took this deep safety, which isn't so deep because they're you know, on the three-yard line. It takes him out of the middle of the field. And then right at the snap, Saquon Barkley, who is on the opposite side of Daniel Jones, crosses Jones's face and runs into the flat, which drags the Mike linebacker out of the middle of the field now that creates a gigantic void in the middle of the field that creates two players covering Saquon Barkley and it just leaves Evan Ingram who is blocking quote unquote and I don't mean that sarcastically I mean that because he was a chip release play designed specifically for Evan Ingram he blocks down and he takes a little bit too long to release and when he does release TJ Watt being the incredible player that he is with the high mental processing and football IQ that he possesses he releases with Evan Ingram and Evan Ingram doesn't flow with the play enough. So Daniel Jones kind of just misses him. I I think it's kind of hard to say. I believe that's on Ingram. I think Ingram needs to flow because there was a void there. There was a lot of space and T.J. Watt was, (laughs) he was on it like soy sauce on rice, man. It was, it was a really good play by the young Steelers pass rusher, but I like the play design by Jason Garrett. It's just both of those plays, execution was bad, and then Evan Ingram needs to flow a little bit, a little bit of miscommunication, but you drug two defenders away from the middle of the field to create that opportunity, and it just did not materialize. And it's interesting, Nick, hearing it from you, breaking it down like that, it gives me hope, but
1: at the same time, it gives me a little concern on two fronts, and it's one, what's going on with Kevin Zeitler? I'm hoping it's just he's adjusting to a new scheme if they Giants got unlucky with that and he's for some reason you know training downward in his career after the trade from the Browns when there were no signs of it I mean he was playing just all borderline all pro football for five straight years really that's a problem I don't think it will be that but my other thing is you mentioned that play you break it down it's a great play but what happened in that play they used pre-snap motion and post-snap motion to confuse the defense and find an open receiver why is not that, not not that not part of the game plan from inside the 20s from the 20 to 20 that can't not be part of the game plan you watch that Andy Reid read offense that ha- you have to have those concepts in there Kyle Shanahan you cannot be the coach that doesn't use pre-snap motion to confuse defenses it worked in the red zone and needs to become a big part of their game plan in my mind
2: I, I'm not of the mindset that it it won't yeah, I just think if they utilize more eleven personnel with Golden Tate yeah. healthy, they might right. implement it more. At least I'm hopeful that they will. Yeah, they
1: need to. It, I never thought receivers would be an issue this year because I guess I was higher on Coleman than the Giants were. But this Golden Tate injury is really stymieing them because they can't. It, they just need they need to be more in a more eleven personnel to run the ball better. I think.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. Hopefully, just lighter boxes will. Yeah, assist lighter that, boxes exactly. assist that offensive. Line. I'm still not yeah. a believer in Nick Gates. I mean, he didn't show me anything yeah. in this game to make me feel have a and fuzzy about him.
1: And Nick Gates is an interesting case because he had a lot of fanfare on Twitter for sure. There's no doubt about it. But Nick and I have been very skeptical. Nick especially was onto this early of his move to center. And the Giant, to me, the center is of the highest priority this offseason. I believe they, it's unlikely there's gonna, I haven't checked out the free agent market yet, but there's really almost never good centers on the free agent market. There's very few even in the NFL. It's one of these scarce positions. So I think they're gonna have to target one in round one or two. Probably not one, but round two, maybe three at the worst. They gotta get one. They like Cushenberry this year, didn't get him. I don't know why they didn't like Biotish, and we'll see what happens there. And if he gets in on Dallas in a tough line, but I thought he, I was talking about this with my dad, fan of the show. We were just like the other day, we're like, how the hell could—are you telling me Biotis couldn't have done a better job than Nick Gates? Biotis has played center his entire career, play, was the Rimington winner two years ago at Wisconsin, has played in an offense that's somewhat similar to this one. I bet if you put him out there, he would have been better, in my opinion, than anything that Nick Gates put out there.
2: It's injuries. That's my main sure. reason. I, I feel like it was just injury-averse. Kind Maybe, of th- and he uh, put on 20. bad
1: 2019 tape while playing through injuries, but it's yeah. like I just find it hard to believe he wouldn't have been better there week one than Nick Gates. I just really do. Um, But anyway, the Giants will have to find that position. They're nowhere near it. I don't think Gates is the future yet. Okay, before we break down what happened on the defensive side of the ball for the Giants as they kind of faded in the second half, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
2: This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. I don't know about you, but sometimes I love to just crack a Pepsi, it could be a diet Pepsi, and just chillax and watch some football. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it is made for those who watch it pepsi made for football watching even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the fastest number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. more quality candidates will see it fast. Try indeed out with a free seventy-five dollar credit at indeed.com/slash blue wire. All one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September
0: 30th.
1: Alright, Nick, let's dive into the defensive side of the ball a little bit from the all twenty-two now before we profile some players to wrap this bad boy up. And on defense, the Giants came out strong. They really had stops that people weren't expecting in the first half. And then it felt like after halftime, Ben Roethlisberger, awesome veteran quarterback, made adjustments to what the Giants were doing. And it was on. A, and they were on a roll there. But before that even happened, the two-minute drill happened. So I want to dive into all that, but I want to start with the basics since it was week one. What was the base personnel looks we saw from Patrick Graham? Because we knew going into the season it was going to be different.
2: They did a lot of three three five and a lot of two four five when Devontae Downs was on the field, but Downs was only out there for 14 snaps. So it was a lot of three three five looks. Blake Martinez was the only true linebacker with either Lorenzo Carter or Oshane Zimenez or Kyler Facker or Marcus Golden as the outside linebackers, opposite of three big dudes in the middle. And what they did was they would run like an Oaky Bear kind of mix when it, in terms of how they lined up. So what I mean by that is to the strength of the formation or to the field if there wasn't a pure strength they would have their outermost guy on the line of scrimmage not the outside linebacker in a four eye technique and on the
1: weak side before we go there explain to the viewers who i'm listeners who might not know what is a four
2: eye so a four eye technique is you are lined up your head your helmet your cap is lined up on the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle on the other side it was more of a bear. Bear front, I guess you could say, is a zero technique, which is somebody who is head up on a center, and then two, three techniques, which is the outside shoulder of the offensive guards. So that is, you know, constricting the A gap is kind of hard to run the football up the middle in those kind of situations. But the way Patrick Graham did it was he would expand whoever was to the strength or to the field, if there wasn't a pure strength, just a little bit more towards the tackles inside shoulder now it doesn't seem like a huge difference but it still kind of is it gives you better leverage for outside runs and if you look at this game the Steelers once they got a hold of this and they saw that this is what the Giants were doing on early downs first and second down what did they do power outside that was a huge halftime adjustment they came out and they just started running power single pullers double pullers to the outside absolutely eliminating the effectiveness unless there was pure penetration from those three down linemen and putting such an onus on whoever's the outside linebacker, the defensive back, and the alley defender. Now those kind of players have to make plays. Lorenzo Carter made a couple really nice plays in that. There were a couple times where he couldn't. Darnay Holmes made a really nice play in that. Julian Love made a really nice play in that too. But it stresses the it's, it gives the pittsburgh steelers space and it stresses those defenders who are smaller defenders who aren't necessarily great run defenders so that's how the steelers kind of countered it once the game went on and it's cool to watch it from drive to drive i encourage anybody who's into this kind of stuff to go to game pass and watch it so you can see the steelers kind of go and they just started running the football outside outside And then once you keep doing that, and if Patrick Graham kept uh, trotting the same front out there, which he started to adjust towards, started putting more 2-4-5 out there, Devontae Downs started finding himself out there to kind of help mitigate that rushing attack because it was kind of leaving the Giants vulnerable, granted, I... Want to tip my cap to some of these Giants defenders because they were tackling pretty well out there. They were putting us some tough spots. Like I think Lorenzo Carter had an excellent game. I think Blake Martinez. It's so night and day seeing Blake Martinez out there as opposed to Alec Ogletree. How good he is in pursuit. How just fundamentally sound he is. There's one play where I watched him diagnose. It was the same type of play. It was an outside run. He diagnosed it from the middle and he just, just. kept tight to the line of scrimmage and scraped over top every block and just delivers a punishing hit on the running back and i was like oh my god man this is a nfl linebacker right here but that was a great adjustment by the pittsburgh steelers and the giants i mean they ended up adjusting a little bit as well but there were also things going on in coverage that left the giants a little bit susceptible which we'll get into in a little bit
1: yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because the way you break that down, do you feel like it was an issue of the Steelers making adjustments and Patrick Graham not adjusting to those adjustments? Or do you think that it was more of an ex Like, where were you at with that? Was
2: Graham good on that in that sense? I think Graham, when the Steelers were in up-tempo, Graham couldn't really make as many adjustments because right. you have your, your personnel out there and it kind of stuck with your personnel. So when the Steelers decided to do that, which they didn't do, you know, towards the end of the game because they were in the lead there was no reason to go up tempo that wouldn't make any sense but there were adjustments drive to drive that i saw graham do he would stray away from the from that bare oaky kind of mixed front look and he would just put two down linemen and then the four linebackers so Devontae downs would be kind of another blake martinez out there obviously a lesser blake martinez but it was a there were adjustments there it wasn't like patrick graham was just getting embarrassed Okay, well, that makes me
1: feel a lot better in that sense because I don't, I didn't initially think that was going to be it. But. No,
2: that's that's only from the from the front perspective. Now, sure, we talk about the coverages a little bit. Yeah, well, we got to get into that
1: because there are some tor- turning points in this game. Whenever a team has a two minute drill like the St- Steelers had, it makes a massive difference in the game. They, if the Giants can get off the field there, if they can hold them to even a field goal there, it's such a different ball game and giving up that two-minute drill just like that it felt like it was just easy for Ben Roethlisberger what happened on that two-minute drill why was it so easy for the Steelers to march down the field score a touchdown and really change the complexion of the game there were literally
2: three plays in a row and then one another play and then the play after where it was a similar type of concept from a different look and it was what I was referring to on the other podcast it was the pick and the rub kind of routes there was one with Ebron and Juju where Ebron ran over vert and Juju went right underneath it and Ebron's vertical kind of picked Juju's coverage defender and that led to Juju being open right after that Deontay and Juju ran an under flag combination from a stack and then Ebron and Juju right after that run another vertical under pivot route from a tight formation so they showed them the vert under before and then two plays later they came back with the same look only this time Juju ran a pivot so the defender I want to say it was Darnay Holmes you know over pursued the under route and it ended up being a misdirection and a pivot route to the outside leading to an easy completion and some yak for Juju Smith-Schuster and two plays later the first and 10 I think it was with I think it was 14 seconds left in the second quarter Juju and James Washington ran a similar concept it was from a normal split and this led to the touchdown because Juju ran a wheel route and then James Washington ran right underneath the wheel route and ran a slant and that just picked whoever was covering James Washington right off of the play and it was in touchdown. James Washington was really physical at the goal line and was able to kind of lunge into the goal line. So on those four plays, on this two-minute drive, it was similar concepts. And it was just a way to attack man coverage. And honestly, in this game, like we talk a lot about how there was a lot of man coverage and the Giants and Patrick Graham loved to run man coverage. There was also a lot of cover too. There was a lot of Tampa too. With Blake Martinez kind of dropping a little bit deep. A lot of too high looks. There was some cover one robber looks with Logan Ryan that really kind of opened my eyes. Where Logan Ryan was, it seemed like he was coached and he was tasked to shoot underneath routes very aggressively to try to bait Big Ben. So he was playing the robber role, and basically the robber role is you kind of hang out by the hash mark and you try to intercept passes that are kind of coming from inside breaking routes. So you're looking at digs, you're looking at slant routes, you're looking at post routes. But Logan Ryan would get to a certain depth to where it looked like cover two too high, and then he would just sprint towards an inside breaking route. I mean, I'm sure that's probably a coaching point from Patrick Graham to try to utilize him to really bait Big Ben into... A turnover or something like that but i haven't really necessarily seen something like that that aggressive on film obviously you see robbers all the time but the way ryan was doing it, he was sprinting like 15 yards underneath one time and ended up looking pretty bad i'm not sure if he was coached like it but he sprinted like 10 yards underneath and then the post got behind him big ben didn't see it and luckily there was another defender in the area but <laughs> if he did logan ryan would have looked really really poor because he definitely over pursued it but i think he was being coached to be that aggressive yeah it's interesting I think we expected to see a lot of man and we ended up
1: seeing more of a mix and I think that's a good sign moving forward because especially with the matchup on slate this week against Mitchell Drubisky a quarterback who is atrocious against zone coverage just beyond bad
2: the Giants need to find a way to mix a lot more of that in there's a, there were other fourth quarter adjustments that I liked because after that drive the two-minute drive where the Steelers just kind of abused the Giants in man coverage yeah they ran a lot of cover two. And in order to combat the cover two, what the Steelers did, they would have three receivers on one side. Usually it would be a wide receiver and a tight end. So the tight end was in line. That's just like a typical Y tight end. And this number two receiver was kind of tight to them. And what they would do is run clear outs. So they would just run verticals. And what their real job is to kind of be downfield blockers. And then what the number one receiver would do is just run a straight under route. Basically like a drag, but basically just turn around at the line of scrimmage and start running towards the line of scrimmage. And what ended up happening was everybody, the cover two outside defender would just sink to where he needed to be. And everybody from the cover two inside, if you guys play Madden, you know what cover two looks like. They would drop with those vertical routes to get to a certain depth to cover those vertical routes, which opened up a huge void underneath them. And what the Giants were doing on two of these plays they had Dexter Lawrence in coverage and they had Lorenzo Carter in coverage. So those were like the defenders that their receivers, Deontay Johnson, I think it might've been James Washington on one of the other ones, It might have been Deontay both times. Those were the players that had to tackle these really talented receivers. One time it was Darnay Holmes. He made a really nice play on the first time in the fourth quarter that the Steelers ran this play. Darnay Holmes kind of recognized it, and he shot, and he was able to get in towards the tackle. But Dexter Lawrence was also in coverage on that play. He dropped him off the line of scrimmage, Patrick Graham. But I just thought it was a really good fourth-quarter adjustment by the Pittsburgh Steelers to try to take advantage of the fact the Giants were adjusting to the fact that they were beating their man coverage they adjusted to cover two and they were like right. this is a cover two beater and this is what we're going to do and they did it successfully the Steelers and let's not take any credit
1: away from Ben Roethlisberger. this is a guy who's a veteran quarterback who's seen a lot who's been with Fickner for Randy Fickner for a while guy he loves to play with they, this is i'm not taking away i'm not knocking the
2: giants for losing an adjustment game here an adjustment battle against ben rossberger and it came down to uh recognizing because the first time on that specific play like i said holmes did a good job but peppers didn't recognize right. it so peppers sunk with those vertical routes and it left lorenzo carter kind of in space to make that tackle on blake martinez but they did a solid job doing that but you need peppers who i didn't think had that great of a game to be honest you need him to be a little bit more aware in these kind of situations yeah no doubt
1: about it All right, Nick, let's talk about some of the individual player breakdowns that you got a chance to really dive into and how they differ from what our initial reactions were in this game. Let's start with Blake Martinez, who both of us were equally impressed when we watched this game twice on the broadcast angle. Obviously, I didn't have an opportunity to watch this all 22 like you did but the way i see it is this blake martinez is a real linebacker alec Oglesby really wasn't he's on the practice squad of the jets right now i don't know why he was starting last year i guess they couldn't figure out how to get a mic this is the value of mics it's another scarce position but to me
2: blake martinez whew, he was flying out there what did you see on the all 22 he's just so smart as a run defender he's there's there's like a game of cat and mouse i believe i've referenced this before on the podcast between a running back especially a running back who's running some sort of inside zone where they have a lot of choices and a linebacker and he's the reactionary quickness of Blake Martinez is is so impressive he's such a smart defender he's always in position when it comes to the run to at least take on his block and kind of force a difficult path for the running back or just shoot the gap and make a tackle that's why he had 11 tackles in this game not to mention his pursuit to the ball is it's his competitive toughness and pursuit to the ball are excellent there was the one play where there was something that happened in the flat and you just see Blake Martinez sprinting from like the far hash to just deliver a beautiful hit on the running back it's just these were not things that Giants fans are really used to to be honest he's an incredible upgrade over Alec Ogletree and I just I love having a, a run defender who is always in position and that's what it seems like the giants got with blake martinez Yeah, it really
1: feels like this might end up being a big value signing that no one projected because every fan on Twitter, every Twitter NFL GM decided this was an awful signing because he occasionally got beaten coverage or because the Packers got absolutely walloped by the 49ers in one game, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. And everyone wanted Corey Littleton and everything like that. But no, I think Blake Martinez is going to be a good giant. And if you guys want a little reference to just plays that he makes that you're not used to seeing, check out the first play of the second half where he just scrapes over the top of a overload power look from the pittsburgh steelers it was after that halftime adjustment that the steelers kind of came out with he scrapes over the top he squares his shoulders he just moves with the running back and then he makes the tackle it was just really really aggressive pursuit play from martinez yeah
1: he was flying out there man and it's such a night and day difference to have an inside linebacker who can play the run the way he does versus ogletree let's get into a couple other evaluations though that stood out to both of us and you specifically on tape lorenzo carter played Finally, I mean, this is a guy who we've loved as a prospect since they drafted him. I thought he was one of their best value picks ever by Gettleman. I had a top 30, I think it was top 40 grade on him that year. So my question with Carter is he finally gets the opportunity to play basically a full workload. He almost played every single snap in this game. Was it as
2: good as it looked on the broadcast? It was, especially as a run defender too. So on a lot of these power runs when the Steelers adjusted to that, they were running it towards Carter and what the edge player must do on power runs when they're trying to kick the edge player out is because they're running towards that that B gap that's where they're trying to get to they're trying to kick out the edge player and run into the B gap Carter did such a good job narrowing that rushing lane and constricting the ability of the running back to squeeze through that lane that it usually forced the running back to bounce outside. There were a couple plays where Carter couldn't do this, but there were at least three on a film that I looked at and I was like, oh man, he stays tight to the line of scrimmage and he just does not allow this pulling backside guard to kick him out of the of the uh, kick him out. And so it just restricts the hell out of that B gap and then Benny Snell or James Conner, whoever it was would go to that B gap realize there's nowhere to go and then try to bounce it outside which just gives the rest of the defense an opportunity to kind of track him down you want running backs to go east and west you don't want them to go north and south so he did that really well and he was also really effective As a pass rusher, there was one play, I think it was against Alejandro Villanueva, where he backed him up pretty well. Now, he didn't get the sack or anything on that play, but he was creating some pressure. I think he could still grow in this area specifically, but I saw just strength at the point of attack, just kind of the things that flashed in years past. Now, we're hoping that it comes to a more consistent level now but i'm intrigued uh for week one especially because he did so well against the run when they were running directly at him on purpose because they did not want to run into the a gaps
1: yeah it makes sense and carter's a guy steady drumbeat really really steady drumbeat for having a great training camp for loving his new fit and role in this defense and clearly, the Giants like him, too, because they played, They finally made him into a full-time pl- defender, which he hadn't been in his first two seasons.
2: All right, let's talk a little... The play, if you guys want to check out, it's 1st and 10, 4th quarter, 10.47 left. That was one of the ones where he really constricted the hell out of the gap, and it just blew up the Steelers' running play. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something we hadn't seen as much in years past. I feel like
1: really the flashes were more in the edge. And again, he had a weird role in that old defense with James Badger. He really did. He was dropping a lot. He wasn't on the field often. He never got in a groove. So I think there's upside there. Let's, before we flip it to the other side of the ball, let's talk a little bit about that big three, inter- those big three interior linemen, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and Dalvin Thompson. If the Giants are going to surprise this year and start winning games, it's going to be on these guys' backs. I really do believe that. So
2: they will have to be the strength. Of this defense. So, what did you see from them in week one? They were just doing what we all expected them to do commanding double teams, breaking double teams. I mean, against the run, Leonard Williams split a double team where both of the Steelers' offensive linemen had a clean shot at him and he just re-anchors himself, sinks his hips, and splits it to make the tackle. It was really, really impressive. Tomlinson was consistently beating two blocks or at least holding up at the point of attack. None of these guys ever get bullied. on the line of scrimmage it's really really insane when you think about it and then Dexter Lawrence also getting pressure on the quarterback sack in the quarterback Leonard Williams sack in the quarterback getting into the backfield stuff that you don't really expect from guys like Dexter Lawrence but he was able to still do it in this game but it's the strength of the team in my opinion it's the deepest the deepest position on this team I think it's easy to say that and I there's a reason why teams are not going to want to pound the rock down the throat of the New York Giants and that's because you have these three beasts. Usually when you have one of those guys you want to double team them especially someone like Tomlinson and Dexter but it's kind of difficult to double team them consistently when you have somebody else who's equally as talented as as him and equally as strong and equally as big in the case of Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Thompson. So I, I I came away intrigued. I thought B.J. Hill and the snaps that I did see of him showed quickness, showed burst, stuff that you're hoping that he's going to do. Seems like he may have a somewhat solid role i mean they had a decent rotation bj hill played 19 snaps in this game dexter lawrence played 30 Talvin tomlinson 32 and then leonard williams who i think will always lead the defensive line in snaps played 44 and Austin johnson even got out there for 17 so it's a deep rotation but it's a strength of this team no doubt and even on the broadcast angle these guys flashed i mean dexter lawrence's ability to diagnose
1: that screen and run it down awesome stuff leonard williams played one of his best games i've seen as a giant and i'm really excited about how he's going to fit in this new defense as well there's a lot to be excited about there but let's take care of the elephant in the room somehow some way there's criticism of daniel jones on twitter after this game i guess it's just the two hero ball plays and the one that was it was really just an amazing play by tj watt but i guess the other hero ball play you might say is that throwback to barkley even though barkley was open it's a risky play i get it and then the hero ball play in the red zone but Aside from that, when it comes to from what I've saw, and this is why I'm interested to see what you saw in the All-22, because remember, when it comes to quarterback evaluation, it makes a big difference, the All-22. It's probably the one position I think makes the biggest difference because you can see what they're actually reading in the secondary. So how did Jones look from your standpoint on All-22?
2: Looked a lot cleaner, man. I thought his footwork was really, really clean. He was very poised, stuck in the pocket, was taking hits, and I think that just galvanizes the locker room. When you stand in the pocket with someone barreling in your face and you step into your throw. drive through your throw and then just your inertia mixed with the momentum of the defensive lineman or the edge rusher colliding with each other there's no way that feels good I thought he had solid velocity and zip on his passes which is good because the last time we saw him throw a football was week 17 against the Eagles and that was probably his worst game in terms of velocity and zip the weather wasn't all that great but I thought he was decisive too quick game he hit the back foot when he wasn't under incredible pressure and he was releasing the ball it was a very clean look from Daniel Jones I thought. When the pressure was in his face, he did a solid job changing up his arm angles a little bit. Now, he's not Pat Mahomes or anything like that, but he would change up his arm angles a little bit to kind of thread the needle and not allow passes to get back down. But the one interception to T.J. Watt, he telegraphed that. Like Again, I think Jason Garrett was really, really trying to get Evan Ingram involved in this game. They tried to do like a little—I think he was trying to do it with with all the tight ends, really, because he was out there, but he tried to do the little button hook, and it was the first play of the drive, just trying to get Evan Ingram going because he had a sloppy start with the drive pass and daniel jones just telegraphed it tj watt read his eyes but i overall man using the way he used his legs to extend plays and he did that multiple times on on a bunch of different drives to pick up first downs or to at least get the giants to a attainable fourth or third down situation the way he would hold on to the football just when when he was under pressure. There was one play where a hit was coming and he braced the football so hard. So you know that was pounded into his head. But I, I came away really pleased with Daniel Jones in this specific matchup. There was boneheaded plays again. There were there were definitely boneheaded plays. There's no denying that. But I also think the the play action rollout, the interception that he threw, was a stupid play by Jason Garrett. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You do a play action rollout to the weak side of Daniel Jones, where Daniel Jones is gonna have to square his shoulders and try to fuck, and try to turn his hips towards whoever he's gonna throw, and the defense is flowing in that direction anyway because that's the way that's where you did your play action fake too. I just thought that was a it just didn't make sense, especially after you picked up seven yards with Saquon Barkley the play before. That that was one of my biggest gripes with Garrett. I came away pleased with Garrett, but that, that one specific play didn't really make any sense and I thought it put Daniel Jones in a really, really bad and really really awkward position, especially with an unblocked defender like Bud Dupree, who is one of the best pursuit defenders in the NFL. It just—I I really hated that play call, and I think Daniel Jones is going to get slammed for it. And you could, you know, say, "Yeah, you should have done this. You should have done that." But I don't even think he should have ever been put in that situation in the first place. I completely
1: agree with you. It's an atrocious play call. Play call down there for a multitude of reasons. Second and three, they can still get a first down. So, really, the option should really be spread. Spread the offense out and shotgun draw with Barkley you can even do a shotgun draw with Jones hey how about an RPO with Jones there's so many options with Jones's athletic ability down there to for him to run or for Barkley to run to have him roll out and then have to go roll to his outside shoulder and flip around and make
2: that throw it's such a long developing play idea and it just it doesn't make sense to me either it it makes no sense I mean if you want to do a play action rollout why don't you do play action I mean you did it to the field at least you didn't do it to the boundary so that's one good thing but do the play action to the other way so the Steelers' defense is flowing this way, and then you have. Offensive wide receivers and tight ends coming across their face—that gives you some leverage. But the way the Giants did it, there was no leverage there. It was just awkward and ugly.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. But I'll stand by I said most of what I had to say both on Twitter and in the original Quick Takeaways podcast. But when I'm looking at developing quarterbacks, I'm looking for—I'm looking for the things that Daniel Jones has shown a lot more than the things that he hasn't, and that's ball placement, consistent ball placement due to arm mechanics, improvements in the footwork, which he has shown me. And the ability to drive the football, which I also am starting to see with him, and then positive decision making. That's the one area where okay, you can knock him a little bit. The hero ball has to stop, but if you can't, if you can't have that ball placement keep up, and if you can't. Find solutions on third and longs with Daniel Jones, that did a really good job of, I thought, this game on multiple occasions. Then you're going to see games play out a lot like you saw with Dwayne Haskins, who really didn't move the ball. I know they got a win, but they didn't move the ball. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, guys who just aren't moving the ball and keeping drives going. So I really do feel
2: like Jones is headed in the right direction, but we'll have to see. It's a big week for him against Chicago. Oh, it's a huge week, and it's a winnable game. Yes. And you guys can hear us previewing this game on the next two podcasts that are about to drop. Yeah, just to give you guys a heads up, this one will drop. ASAP, and then tomorrow morning on
1: Friday we will drop two separate previews. One is with Cameron Lee, former Bears and Saints, and multiple offensive linemen. We talk a little bit about his journey, and then he breaks down and previews the Bears' offense. We'll also be dropping an episode with Zach Lee, who's another guy on the Blue Wire Bear uh, Blue Wire Podcast Network with the Bears Podcast. This is an awesome interview. He dives into some tape takeaways and really previews what the Giants need to do to take. Mitchell Drabisky and make him look more like the Mitchell Drabisky we used to know rather than what we saw in the fourth quarter of week one so thanks again for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast as always we appreciate your support throughout if you want to help us grow the show do us a favor just go on to iTunes download every uh, every episode make sure you don't just listen download and make sure you subscribe and give us a solid rating and review we've seen some negative rating reviews I'm, I'm not sure why unfortunately some people you know don't like specific aspects about the pod the good news is the majority of you do enjoy it so that makes us happy and it makes us want to do it more so thanks again for tuning in and we'll speak to you soon
0: the wait
2: is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.